Are daily NPR politics podcast episodes not enough for you? Well, you can follow more of our political coverage on NPR One. It's your go-to app for podcasts and public radio. Get NPR One, O-N-E, in your app store now. Hey, y'all. It's the NPR Politics Podcast for Monday, October 24th. This is the first day of our two-week run. We're going to have daily episodes every weekday for you right up to the election. We are so ready for this. Mm-hmm. Oh, I wish it could go on forever. <laughs> so these episodes will be short. They will only cover the past 24 hours or so. Of course, today we'll talk a bit about the drama from the weekend. I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. So today... Donald Trump said this at a campaign event in Florida. I, I just want to tell you, some great polls have just come out. I believe we're actually winning. Now, the press, I believe we're actually winning. Um, he also tweeted today that, quote, we are winning and the press is refusing to report it. Now, this um, contradicts his campaign manager, Kellyanne Conway. She was on Meet the Press on NBC yesterday. She said this. We are behind. Uh, she has some advantages, like $66 million in ad buys just in the month of September, thereby doubling her ad buys. from. So that's where we are right now. Also, funny thing about her ad buy advantage, they could have done the same thing. They raised a lot of money. They, they had the money. Yeah. I mean, they that was a choice. So... We can agree, Ron, that by most measures, Donald Trump is down. Uh, my question is, like, how further down is he than Romney was four years ago? So we're going to own the horse race moment just here. For just, just for a moment. Just for a moment. And say, four years ago, Mitt Romney was basically running neck and neck. Huh. There were a lot of people paying attention to Nate Silver's 538 and saying... How can you possibly say Obama's got a 70-some percent chance of winning, 80 percent chance of winning when the polls show them within the margin of error? Nate Silver had his whole explanation for where the vote was distributed, et cetera, and which polls he weighted, et cetera, et cetera. But it was a pretty narrow race. That was a pretty narrow race four years before that in 2008. This, by historic standards, is not a narrow race. Yeah. The average of all polls, and this takes in even the ones that show Donald Trump even or ahead, but the average of all polls is running between six and eight points. That's really unusual in our politics to have that kind of a lead at this point. And that's whether it's a two-way race or even if you throw in the other two candidates, they don't seem to make a huge difference in the margin. So that's an unusually not close race for just two weeks out. So um, there were some developments from Trump over the weekend. In a speech, he threatened to sue the women who had come forward to accuse him of groping them. This came during a speech that was supposed to lay out his big plans for his first 100 days. Um, It was a speech that he gave in Gettysburg, which is a very historic place. We have some tape of that. Every woman lied when they came forward to hurt my campaign. Total fabrication. The events never happened, never. All of these liars will be sued after the election is over. So that ended up becoming one of the main headlines from this speech that was supposed to be very policy heavy. And he ran off this list of things that are pretty big policy objectives. He talked about an amendment to the Constitution to impose term limits on all those in Congress, a hiring freeze on federal employees, a five-year ban on folks in Congress or even staffers becoming lobbyists, not doing TPP, Keystone Pipeline. There were lots of things in there. Obamacare. Getting rid of Obamacare. So he had this laundry list of things um, that a lot of folks on the right would like to hear talked about, and it was overshadowed, Ron. 
Yes, but look, this is really the Donald Trump program combined with what would be called Republican orthodoxy for the last generation. He called it Donald J. Trump's contract with the American voter. Now, if that rings any bells, Sounds like the contract it. with America in the fall of 1994, which is what now, 22 years ago. Wow. 22 years ago, the Republicans gained a huge number of seats in the House and Senate, took over control of the House for the first time in 40 years, and the leader at that time was Newt Gingrich, and they had something they called the Contract with America. And lo and behold, it had some of these same items on it, including imposing term limits on all members of Congress, which didn't get done, even when they had huge majorities in the House and Senate. And after all, the president doesn't really drive the constitutional amendment process. It comes from the states, from the Congress, and Congress. then it's ultimately it's ratified by the states. So that's just basically getting on board a popular idea, as are a lot of these other things. Or there are things like pull out a NAFTA, and I don't think it's a big secret to folks that that's what Donald Trump wants to do. And of course, Newt Gingrich is advising Donald Trump, so it's, it's probably not a coincidence at all that the name sounds, all but for one word, very similar to what Newt Gingrich used very successfully back in the 90s. What we're really looking at here is pulling together in an organized and cogent fashion all the things that Donald Trump's been talking about for the last 16 months. And in that sense, it was really overdue, and in that sense, it was potentially powerful. It's hard to get that message through, though, in this kind of format with all of that substance when it's drowned out by some of the other messages coming from him. Speaking of these women and their accusations against Trump, Senator Elizabeth Warren brought those up today when she was campaigning with Hillary Clinton in New Hampshire. He thinks because he is a celebrity that he can rate women's bodies from one to ten. He thinks that because he has a mouthful of Tic Tacs, that he can force himself on any woman within groping distance. Well, I got news for you, Donald Trump. Women have had it with guys like you. And and nasty women have really had it with guys like you. And that, of course, is a nod to what he said about Hillary Clinton at the third debate. Get this, Donald. Nasty women are tough. Nasty women are smart. And nasty women vote. What if we have just seen the creation of a new polling demographic? Soccer moms, security moms? No. Nasty women. Yeah, no, Elizabeth Warren has taken this thing that he said in a moment of anger in the third debate, and she has weaponized it. I mean, it's already on shirts. It's already yeah. on mugs. And actually, I think that something happened when he said that. I think something clicked for a whole lot of voters. This nasty woman thing, something clicked. And there's no way really for Trump to get out of it. Either he apologizes to her for saying this, which he's probably not going to do, or he has to just continue to watch everyone say nasty women from now until Election Day. That's right. And it's like deplorables in the sense that you can apologize for it and people will go right on making a meme of it. And it's going to be with her for a very long time. And this, too, is going to cling. And and actually, many Trump supporters, I think, like the phrase, too, because they believe Hillary Clinton is a nasty woman. At a minimum. So, meanwhile... Democrats are taking advantage of Clinton's lead and doing two things. They are talking up early voting every chance they get. And they are also turning lots of attention to House and Senate races. The president was uh, campaigning yesterday in Nevada, where Democrat Catherine Cortez Masto is facing off against Joe Heck of the GOP. Here's Obama talking up Masto. 
Catherine's been a national leader in the fight against sex trafficking of teenage girls and violence against women and passed laws to make sure the penalties are tougher for predators, expanded sex offender registries, gave victims the right to sue their captors, and the other guy supporting Donald Trump. What the heck? What the heck? Oh, punny, was, punny Obama there. Heck no. The guy's name is Heck. It's Oh, that It's a too. dad joke. That too. So, Masto, Heck, what is the deal with the Senate race? This is a race for the open Senate seat being left by retiring uh, Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid. Uh, Masto was sort of his hand-picked replacement. Uh, Joe Heck is a congressman. It is a very tight race, very competitive. Um, Joe Heck was one of the people who early on came out when that Access Hollywood video came out and said, I'm done. I'm done with Donald Trump. He was booed at his own events for doing that. Wow. And and so this is this has become a, a very interesting race since then, in part because some of his supporters have turned against him for turning against Donald Trump. Yeah. And so that seems to be a new tactic. You know, for a while, Hillary Clinton was separating Trump from the rest of the party. That seems to have changed recently, right? Yeah. So she, for a long time, was like, you know, Donald Trump is he's not a real Republican. He's she made it clear that she felt that he was an outlier, that he was not just a Republican, but he was some sort of greater threat. Well, now Hillary Clinton and all of these heavy hitting surrogates are saying, hey, look at that Senate candidate here, 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 here and here. All of those Senate candidates stood by him while he was doing things and saying things that were out of line with American values. And now you shouldn't vote for them either. <laughs> and, and, and they've got and they got an interesting multi-pronged weapon here because in North Carolina, for example, the Democrat Deborah Ross can say that the incumbent Republican Senator Richard Burr can't decide. He's sort of with him. He's sort of against him. He defends him. Then he doesn't defend him. He says, I hold him at arm's length. And he says, no, no, there's no distance between us. And up in Pennsylvania, you've got incumbent Republican Senator Pat Toomey saying, put me down among the undecided. So... You can go against them for that. You can go against them for what Kelly Ayotte had said when she called him a role model, absolutely, and then had to back off and call that a mistake. So wherever the Republicans come down, the Democrats can use it as a wedge. But it's still, you know, the more we talk about this thing, I always get confused. It's like, is Donald Trump and the GOP... Are they married? Are they separated? Are they nearing divorce? No, it's I never more know. complicated. No, no better, yes. better, better analogy than marriage is a corporate takeover. It's a guy <laughs> who came in from outside and leveraged with whatever kind of money, leveraged a big stock offer. And a lot of your stockholders went, hey, wow, that sounds pretty good. I'd like to get that kind of premium on the shares that I own. And so they went with this other person and deserted the management of the company that they had been stockholders in for many, many years. That... And, and not, you know, being overly corporate about it, but that's closer to the actual dynamic. Yeah. Let's uh, Before we go to break, touch on one more thing that Trump said this afternoon. He was talking about the Clinton campaign manager, John Podesta's emails. Those emails were hacked and are solely being released by WikiLeaks. So let's hear a bit of what Trump said about one of those emails. WikiLeaks also shows how John Podesta rigged the polls by oversampling Democrats, a voter suppression technique and that's happening to me all the time when the polls are even when they leave them alone and do them properly i'm leading but you see these polls where they're polling democrats how's trump doing oh he's down 
They're polling Democrats. Let me try to explain what email he's talking about. This is actually an email from 2008. Not this election cycle. Eight years ago. Eight years ago. And and he was saying that, you know, hey, let's get our internal polling unit. The people, you know, campaigns do internal polls. They do lots of polls that they don't release the data on. He was saying, hey, let's get our polling people to oversample certain groups of people. What that means is they go out, they get, you know, 10 percent of the population of the United States is African-American. They'll they'll get a much larger sample than that in within their poll just so that they can get some more detailed information about the population because it's a relatively small overall population. But this yes. is not this is not a horse race poll. This is not we're not talking about a poll that's trying to figure out who's ahead in a contest, much less Donald Trump since it's 8 years ago. This is a poll trying to find out what people think. And so you oversample a particular group because you're particularly interested in that group and their thinking. Now, there are other times when you oversample a particular group because you can't find very many of them. It's not easily done. And then you're going to have to overweight them. But that's when you do the oversampling. That's right. When you do the weighting of the poll, when you try to figure out how accurate the results you got or how re- representative the results you got are, there are scientific means of doing polls, and then there are partisan ways of doing polls. When you look at the most scientific polls that are done not to please any candidate, not to please any party, not to please any campaign, you will see these techniques used to be as accurate as possible, and those turn out to be the ones that are predictive and accurate. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk a bit about Tamara's latest reporting on sexism and the campaign. We'll be right back. Support for NPR Politics Podcast and the following message come from Wix.com, who believes every great business needs a stunning website. With Wix.com, it's easier than ever to create yours. With all the things you need to look amazing online, images, videos, and professional text. And the best part is, you can do it all on your own. Go to Wix.com. Create your stunning website today. Before we get back to the show, quick plug. Another podcast we think you will love is Bullseye with Jesse Thorne. It is your guide to pop culture. Jesse interviews artists and writers and actors about their work and their lives. Recent guests include the creator of Veep, Hassan Minaj of The Daily Show, and actress Rashida Jones. You can find Bullseye now on the NPR One app and at npr.org slash podcast. All right, Tamara, your latest story, it aired this morning. I really enjoyed it. It was all about the role that sexism has played in this campaign. Run us through it really quickly. So the short of it is that it was inevitable with Hillary Clinton on the ballot, with Hillary Clinton trying to become the first female president of the United States, that there would be sexism. What wasn't inevitable is that her opponent would be actively fostering it. Yeah. And so that that's really the story that we built. The story... It, it starts with this thing that I saw on my way to a Hillary Clinton event in Reno, Nevada, about a month and a half ago. Two men pulled up to a patch of dirt just down the hill from the event, parked their white work van and pulled out a giant banner that said in big vinyl lettering, Trump that bitch. And they stood there and they waved and they smiled. How did you feel in that moment seeing it as a woman? Well, I uh, I was in the car uh, with a female Uber driver, and we saw it, and we were like, "Whoa, we've got to turn around huh. and take a picture of yeah. that," <laughs> because that I mean that is quite a thing to see. Uh, but truth is, I had seen that slogan a lot because it's not an outlier; it's mm-hmm. actually 
very much been a part of Trump's campaign, not him personally using those words, not his campaign selling the shirts, but outside of basically every Trump event I've seen, there are vendors on private property right there, right outside, selling these shirts that say Trump that bitch and other things that target Hillary Clinton as a woman. Yeah. So and is the thinking that some of the things that Trump has said, even if not that outrageous, might have fostered an environment where this thing is okay? Yeah. Well, first off, I I talked to a couple of campaign professionals, Republicans who've worked on both the McCain campaign and the Romney campaign. And they said that the Trump campaign, one, could have run those vendors off the parking lot. Mm. Two, they could have said something. They could have said, we don't support these shirts. We don't like these slogans. We don't want this to be part of our campaign. Uh, Here is Katie Packer, who worked on Romney's campaign, and Steve Schmidt, uh, who worked on McCain's campaign. He's created a permissible environment for this. And there hasn't been a peep from the campaign about this stuff being offensive. They have. And so by not addressing it, they have encouraged it. Not just that he created a permissible environment, but that with his own words, He has been sending a signal to his supporters. And just to give you a sample of some of the things he said, here's a little supercut. Well, I think the only card she has is the woman's card. She doesn't have the look. She doesn't have the stamina. She walks in front of me, you know. And when she walked in front of me, believe me, I wasn't impressed. But she walks in front of me. And that was Donald Trump talking about Hillary Clinton. After the videotape had come out. Yeah. I'm also really interested in how Hillary Clinton has approached being a woman in a possible historic first, how she's approached that differently in 2016 versus 08, because there are some differences there, right? Well, in 08, she was basically running as a man. I mean, she was she was trying to avoid or she had a strategist, Mark Penn, who set out a strategy that She wasn't going to talk about the first woman president thing. That was just not going to be a thing. I mean, she didn't even really embrace it at all until her concession speech when she talked about all the cracks she made in that highest, hardest glass ceiling. That was at the end. But so this time she has embraced it. Now, a lot of the time she's like, oh, I'm a grandma. That's how she talks about it. Or she'll be like, well, I won't be the youngest president, but I'll be the youngest female president. Less threatening, less threatening ways of talking about it. But she really de-emphasized it in 2008. It was as if it was like, oh, yes, I guess that's true. But there was no emphasis on it at all because she saw it as a vulnerability. This time, eight years later, she saw it as a very strong asset. And just an example of that, she at the last debate at the nights of her biggest speeches has worn white pantsuits. Yeah, she has. Which is a nod to the women's suffrage movement and the suffragettes Uh who wore white. Um, and, And just today she was giving this speech in New Hampshire and she said here, I'm just going to read a little quote from it. She says, maybe it's a bit of a woman thing because we make lists. I want you to think about our plans as our lists, our lists as a country. I mean, that is very much saying, all right, I'm a woman and I'm running for president. Yeah, yeah. All right, we're going to try to also throw in a listener letter or two in these daily episodes. Today we have one from Patrick. He writes, quote, 
I keep wondering if it is a bad idea for Trump to ignore how low he is in the polls. Would it help if he says that we're behind and encourage all supporters to get out and vote? It does seem as though he could get some real serious juice by portraying himself as the embattled underdog. And we've seen people do that in the past and make up a lot of ground, make up a lot of fall ground in October by saying, hey, let's get out there. We're the underdog. We're still fighting. You know, they think they've beat us, but we're not beat. You know, and that's pretty good dynamic. I mean, Trump's whole campaign, the whole primary was all predicated on winning. That is what gave him juice. And so looking like you're losing, feeling like you're losing, admitting that she might be ahead, those things are potentially not good for him. I also got a note from Jeff in San Francisco. This is a fun one. He writes, quote, Just so you know, here are my latest rankings awaiting confirmation. Rigged systems ranked. One, solar system. Definitely rigged. (laughs) Two, circulatory system. Clearly. Three, buddy system. Always thought so. Four, Dewey Decimal System. Taking it back. Oh, mm. wow. Five, Septic System. Ew. Six, Operating System. Yes. Seven, favorite of mine, System of a Down. What song? This do- is like a kind of a metal band. They had a song that was big when I was younger called Chop Suey. Oh, yeah, that one. That okay. One? It was like... Da-da. You sure that wasn't Wu-Tang? Yeah, that was not the Wu-Tang clip, but thank you, Ron. Get out of here, Ron. <laughs> all right, Jeff, thank you for your note. Thanks to all who write us. You can do that yourself by emailing nprpolitics at npr.org. If you want a treat, go to your computer or your device and watch an SNL skit from this past weekend called Black Jeopardy. Yes. Excellent. It was delightful. All right, that's a wrap. We'll be back on Tuesday. For those that anxiously refresh their feed all the time waiting for our newest episodes, these will be taped in the late afternoon, so they'll post in the early evening. So some of you will be able to hear them on your commute home in the evenings. If not, it'll be there for you in the morning for your commute to work. I'm going to try to get these done between 5.30 and 6.30 p.m. Eastern every weekday. Keep listening. All right, I'm Sam Sanders, campaign reporter. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House and the campaign. And I'm Ron Elving, editor-correspondent. Thank you for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.